Well, let's take a Bible and open it together to the Old Testament, First Chronicles chapter 21. We're going to be continuing. Actually, we're coming down the home stretch in our study of the life of the great man of God, David. First uh, Chronicles chapter 21. If you didn't bring a Bible today, please borrow our copy. You'll find it on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 300. Page 300 in our copy of the Bible. First Chronicles 21 in your copy of the Bible. You know, you may not have realized it, but last week Russia celebrated an anniversary. Actually, it was the 14th anniversary last week of the Chernobyl nuclear reactor disaster. If you remember, the nuclear reactor blew up, spewing tons of radioactive uranium, plutonium, all kinds of other nasty cancer-causing stuff into the air. Our best estimate is that that accident put more than 400 times the amount of radioactivity in the air as the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And up to this point, we estimate more than 10,000 people have died as a direct result of that accident. But that's not all. More than 3 million acres in the Ukraine, this is an, uh, uh, an area about about the size of Connecticut, this area is considered lost to all human habitation for at least the next 100 years. Stillbirths in the Ukraine now run at 250% more over the last 14 years. Cancer is up 50%. And still 14 years after the accident, the abandoned reactor building remains one of the most dangerous places on the face of the planet. Inside that building today, there are 190 tons of nuclear lava. By this we mean reactor material that melted and ran all over the floor like lava. It's still in there. And how hot is that in nuclear terms even today? Well, it's so hot in there that a three-second exposure will give you radiation sickness. A three-minute exposure will kill you. And it's so hot in there that several years ago, when a German-made robot was sent in to try to map the inside for cleanup purposes, the radiation burned out the robot's computer in less than seven minutes, leaving the robot uh, stranded in there and glowing in the dark like everything else in there does. This is a nasty place. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because, friends, in our world today, there are mistakes and then there are big mistakes. There are nuclear meltdowns. There are Chernobyl-like events in our world. And we're going to see in our passage today that King David uh, commits... Uh, one of these Chernobyls. He gets involved in a nuclear meltdown situation, and we want to talk about how he got himself in that mess so that we as followers of Jesus Christ can make sure we don't do the same thing. We can avoid nuclear meltdowns in our life. So let's look together a little bit of background. Remember now, David is 65 years old. David has been the king of Israel for over 30 years. David has built Israel into the most dominant empire in the ancient Near East. He's brought a time of peace and security on the nation of Israel. And now that he's old enough to know better, David commits a colossal mistake, a huge mistake. Let's look at it together, all right? We're going to pick up in verse 2. It says in verse 2 that David said to Joab, this is his commanding general, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north, and report back so I may know how many there are. Now, we learned last week that this was not a census of the general population that David was taking, but a census of his fighting men. Verse 17 even tells us that. What David wanted to know is how big is my army, how many troops 
do I have? And the motive behind this census was the problem. The motive behind this census was idolatry. You say, now wait a minute, Lon. Idolatry? Idolatry is when you make little wood statues and everybody gets down and bows down to them on the ground. Oh no, folks. Idolatry goes way beyond little wood statues. Idolatry happens whenever you and I place our faith, our trust, our confidence, and our security in anything. Our mutual funds, our stock portfolios, our sales ability, our educational credentials, our human talent in anything other than Almighty God and His power alone. And, And what David was doing here, there was no military reason whatsoever to know how many troops he had. There wasn't an army or a war anywhere on the horizon. What was happening in David's life is that instead of finding his security in the unseen power and resources of God, the way he had always done, this is what got him to where he was, instead... Success had caused him to begun depending instead on his troop strength, on human resources that he could see, that he could touch, that he could feel, and that he could total up. This was idolatry. And it offended God. It was an affront to God. It was an insult to God. And even Joab could see this. Verse 3. Joab came in and said, said, King, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. I'd like us to have a hundred times how many more troops we have. But why do you want to do this? Why do you want to bring guilt on all Israel? Even Joab could see this was a huge mistake that was going to make God mad, that was going to insult God. And he said, David, don't do it. But David did it anyway. And what happened? Verse 7. It says in verse 7, this command was also evil in the sight of God, just like Joab said. So he punished Israel. And what did God do? Verse 14, so the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Now, friends, we can read this on paper and go right by it. 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. Okay, whatever. But think about the real life impact of what this verse is saying. 70,000 loyal soldiers of David were gone in three days. God says, you want to trust resources you can count up, David? Let me show you how fast, since I gave them to you, I can take them away from you. Okay, watch, son. Took them away, but they didn't stop there. 70,000 husbands were gone. 70,000 fathers were gone. 70,000 women were left as widows, and who knows how many thousands of children were left as orphans, all because of one big mistake that David made. He said, well, now, wait a minute, I don't think this is very fair. Why, did, why, why, would, why would it be fair for God to take the lives of all these innocent people when David was the one that made the mistake? Oh, that's a great question. You need the tape from last week because we talked all about it last week. Why this happened? Get the tape. But the point is, it was all because of David's mistake. Now, remember what we said. There are mistakes and there are big mistakes. I would say this is a big mistake, wouldn't you? 70,000 lives, big mistake. Now, that's as far as we want to go in our passage because we need to ask a really important question. And you know what this question is, right? So everybody take a deep breath. (gasps) Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. So what? That's right. So what? Say, Lon, so what? I I mean, I I feel bad for David. I I feel bad for these 70,000 people. But what difference does this make to me in the 21st century? I don't get the connection. Well, let's see if we can help. My observation, I've been a pastor now for 20 years, and my observation is that just about every follower of Jesus Christ that I've ever met 
who's had a nuclear meltdown, every one of them has made virtually the same mistake that led to that meltdown. Every one of them has made the same mistake that set them up and made them vulnerable. It's the exact same mistake David makes right here. And what is that mistake? Let's identify it. Because, folks, if we understand how these people got in trouble, we can avoid doing it ourselves. How did they get in trouble? What was the mistake they made? Very simply. Here it is. In a time of ease, here's what David did. In a time of success, in a time of comfort and affluence, David dropped his guard spiritually. Look at verse 1 of this chapter. It says, And Satan rose up and against Israel, and he incited David. He lured David. He wooed David into taking that census of Israel. Now, friends, the Bible is very clear in its cosmology of the universe. The Bible teaches that there are two opposing spiritual forces at work in our universe, each led by a supernatural being. There are uh, the forces of Almighty God. There are the forces of Lucifer, Satan, the devil. You go, wait a minute, Lon, time, time out. This is the 21st century. You are an educated man. You don't really tell me that you believe that there's some little being with horns and a pitchfork and a a, a pointy tail running around called the devil, do you? Well, I don't believe he has horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail, but I do believe that there is a Lucifer, there is a Satan, there is a devil, not only because the Bible tells me so, but because, friends, if you look around in our world, the evil in our world is inexplicable if all you have to explain it is human nature. There's more going on here. There is more happening here. Yes, of course I believe this. I hope you do. The Bible's clear about it. And this this being, Lucifer, was a senior leadership angel until he rebelled against God. And God exiled him from heaven, and God has condemned him to be destroyed at the end of the age. However, friends, until the end of the age, Lucifer is alive and well on planet Earth. Thank you very much. And his objective, his goal, is to seduce every human being alive that he can into following him, rebelling against God like he did, sharing in his eternal destruction that he knows is coming. This is his main objective in the human race. Now, I've got some good news for you. The good news is that when we come into personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when we accept him as our Messiah, our Lord and our Savior, we're free from that worry. God gives us a plan of salvation and a promise of eternal life that Lucifer can't mess up if he tries. That he can't even lure you or trick you into messing up because the plan of salvation God gives us is unconditional. And that's wonderful. I need a plan of salvation that's unconditional because if I could mess it up, I would mess it up. So would you. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Messiah, Lord and Savior, may I say to you, the one thing Jesus offers you, no other ism or ology in the world offers you, is a way to get heaven and eternal life that doesn't depend on you. And that's what you need. Because depending on you to do it, it's not going to work. It's a dead-end street. Even if God gave it to you and then depended on you to preserve it, you wouldn't. You'd mess it up. But Jesus offers us a way to heaven that doesn't depend on you, doesn't depend on you keeping it once you got it. It's unconditional. I don't know about you, but that's the way I need this deal to work. And you do too. So if you're here and you're tired of trying to hack this out yourself, i got great news for you. If you come to Jesus and let Him grant you eternal life, You can't ever lose it. This is the way to do this. Something to think about. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, Satan can't accomplish objective number one with us. He can't lure us into losing our eternal life and being destroyed for eternity. So you know what he does? He moves on to objective number two. 
He's got a secondary mission. And his secondary mission is, okay, if I can't lure these people into destruction, maybe at least I can lure them into Chernobyl's in their life. Maybe I can lure them into nuclear meltdowns in their life, into making decisions that will be disastrous. Maybe I can't destroy their eternal life, but I can sure mess up their earthly life in the meantime. And that's where he went with David. That's where he goes with us. But what I want you to really notice is when it was that the enemy moved against David. Would you notice that the idea to take a census of his troops didn't occur to David? The enemy didn't lure David into this when David was out camped on some battlefield eating K-rations and fighting for his very existence. Would you notice that? It happened while his empire was at peace, his nation was at security, he was sitting in the palace eating lobster tails and drinking mint juleps. This is when the thing happened. This is when the enemy moved against him. And tell me, do you think it's an accident that Lucifer attacked David not at a time of crisis or a time of difficulty or a time of suffering, but that Lucifer came after him at a time of ease, tranquility, success and affluence? You think that's an accident? Hey, not on your little pea picking life, it isn't. There's no way. That was staged and that was planned. Lucifer knew that by attacking David at the zenith of his power, at the zenith of his success, that there there was only one reason and one reason only Satan did it then is because he knew David had dropped his guard and he was vulnerable. And Satan was right. He was right. Folks, listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, the most dangerous thing you and I can be is a success. The most dangerous thing we can be is a success. And if you'll chronicle the lives of just about every great man and woman of God who ended up, ended up having a nuclear meltdown, you know what you'll find? What you'll find is that their demise never came in times of trouble, stress, crisis, and defeat. Their trouble came after they had had great successes and victories and triumph. It's when the days of ease and leisure had come upon them. That's when the enemy moved against them. That's when they were vulnerable. And that's when he shot them out of the saddle. You say, well, now, wait a minute. I'm having a real problem with what you're saying here, because if I understand you right, what you're saying is that the way for us as followers of Jesus Christ to avoid big mistakes is just be a failure our whole life. If we're never a success, then we'll never make a big mistake. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all, friends. God loves to give his people success. God loves to give his people victories. What I am saying is that when God gives us times of ease and success, that's when we've got to be on our guard. That's when we've got to be alert because that's when we're in the most danger of making a big mistake because it's in these times where we are most prone to begin relying on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own cunning, when we're most inclined to let success go to our head, to begin believing our own PR, to drop our guard, and we get nailed. You you know, have you ever been out on the road here in Washington, you've seen like those trucks or those cars or whatever, where they've got the name of the business tattooed backwards on the front of their hood, and you look at it in the rearview mirror, and instead of being backwards, it comes out right side up so you can read it in your mirror. You know those guys? What I'm saying to you here is that as believers, when God sends success our way, what we need to do is we need to have a verse of the Bible tattooed backwards across our forehead, so when we look ourselves in the mirror, we don't let that success begin going to our head. We don't begin believing our own PR, but we see that verse shouting back at us. Keep your guard up. And what's the verse? It's Romans 12, verse three. Here it is. It says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. This is the verse you and I need to tattoo backwards on our forehead. So every time we look in the mirror, we see it and it says to us, hey, don't get too big for your britches, pal. And let me tell you, the more success God gives us, the bigger the font we need to use when we put this thing on our forehead. You understand? Because that's when we're in danger. Now, you say, Lon, that's wonderful. I understand what you're saying. But how, how would I know if I've dropped my guard? How would I know if, if my guard is down and I'm vulnerable? Well, I'm so glad you asked because in the end, the last little bit of time I got, I want to tell you, when we drop our guard, there are three indicators that you've dropped your guard. They're always true. And the way to know whether your guard is up or down is examine these things, three things and see where you are. So we're going to take a little test. You ready? It's a self-graded test. You grade yourself. And as I go through these three things, you give yourself anything between a one and a ten. Now, if you never, ever, ever, ever do this, you give yourself a one. And if this is true of you all the time, it's like it's got your name on it. You give yourself a 10 and then we'll total up at the end and see how we do. You ready? So you take this test. Here we go. What are the indicators that we've dropped our guard? Number one, we become, first of all, unaccountable. We become unaccountable. Think about it now. David had reached the position as the king of Israel for over 30 years and as the ruler of the most dominant empire in the ancient Near East. He had reached the point where he answered to nobody anymore. David could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, virtually without challenge. In fact, even when mighty Joab, his army commander, his friend for over 30 years, even when Joab tried to come in and hold him accountable, what did David do? do? David flicked him aside like a fly that was annoying him and David did what he wanted to do. Who was there in Israel? Who was there who could tell David no? There wasn't anybody in Israel. And friends, the Bible tells us that this is a dangerous place to be. Because the Bible tells us about our heart. Jeremiah 17 says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Say, is that talking about my heart? Oh, yeah. Talking about my heart, too. See, friends, our human hearts have an, an unbelievable ability, an uncanny ability to deceive us, to fool us, and to convince us that we are dead right when, in fact, we are dead wrong. David was dead wrong about this census, but he was convinced he was right. He wouldn't, he, nobody could tell him anything, and nobody could stop him. In fact, David, it's not like David didn't know this about his own heart. He wrote in Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions, my sin nature is always before me. So create in me a pure heart, O God, because God, to be honest with you, the heart I got's a mess. So, friends, it wasn't that David didn't know what the Bible teaches about our hearts. It wasn't that the Bible, that, that David didn't know about what was true in his own heart. It was that David had dropped his guard. David had let his success go to his head, and David had allowed himself to get into a position where there were no checks on his deceitful heart, no balances on his deceitful heart at all. It had free reign in his life. And let me tell you what happened. Lucifer used that and led him into a disaster. You know, we have a membership class that meets here every quarter. 
And uh, it lasts for a Sunday afternoon. And we talk about our vision. We talk about our core values. We talk about kind of who we are as a church and where we're going. And then when we're done doing that, we throw it open for a time of questions on anything. Potpourri. Ask anything you want. Just uh, And we try to answer them. And I'm always intrigued at the questions that I get. Always interested because they're so different. But I got one this last time that I hadn't been asking a long time. Someone raised their hand, and with a good attitude, I, I didn't take offense with, to it at all, they said, they, here was their question. Their question was, Lon, what I would like to know is what limits are there on your personal authority in this church? What limits are there on you? Now, wouldn't you like to know the answer to that? And if you come to the next membership class, I'll tell you. No, no, I'll tell you now. All right. Here's the answer to that. I said, you know, that's a great question. Let me tell you what some of them are. Do you know here at McLean Bible Church, and this has been true for the 20 years I've been here, do you know I can't write or sign a check here at McLean Bible Church, no matter what the amount is? Do you know here at McLean Bible Church that I, I don't never see the offerings, have never seen the offerings, don't have any idea what anybody gives, don't help count them, don't have any idea who's given what? Do you know here at McLean Bible Church, if you buy us a $4 can of coffee, I can't go into petty cash and pay you back? I have no idea access to that money and never have. Do you know here at McLean Bible Church, I don't even know the combination of the safe. As a matter of fact, up until about a year and a half ago, I didn't even know we had a safe. This is true. Somebody came up to me in the hall a year and a half ago and said, Lon, where's the safe? And I said, we don't have a safe. They said, oh yeah, we do. And I said, no, we don't. So they went and found out and came back and took me and showed me where it was. I didn't even know we had a safe. Uh, Do you know here at McLean Bible Church, I nor any of my staff can establish policy for this church. When we're in a staff meeting and something comes up and it's a matter of policy for our church, I have to say, gosh, guys, you know, we can't make that decision. Only the board of elders in this church establishes policy. Six elected people that serve at your behest, they control all policy. We operate inside policy, but they make it. Do you know here at McLean Bible Church... That even though I have the authority to hire anyone, I don't have the right to fire any member of the pastoral staff. Job action can only be taken by the board of elders. And they have to look over any suggested job action and decide that it's legitimate and it's appropriate and it's right. You say, well, Lon, who in the world set up a stupid system like this? The answer is me. I set the system up. And the reason I set it up and the reason I wouldn't change it if I could is because I know my heart. I know my heart, friends. And I know what lives in there. And, and you know, 20 years ago, I never dreamed McLean Bible Church would be enjoying the success that it is today, the blessing that it is today. But I knew whatever success, whatever measure of success God chose to give this church, I knew that the person McLean Bible Church needed to be protected from the most was me. Me. And so we build systems on purpose here to protect McLean Bible Church and to protect me. And let me tell you something, friends, your heart is not any different than my heart. Don't you think it is? The person when you go up the ladder of success that you need to be most protected from is you. You. And to allow yourself to get into a situation where you become the absolute final authority. To allow yourself to get into a situation where you have unlimited power and nobody can tell you no... This is a dangerous thing and it is a sure sign you've dropped your guard spiritually and that you're not aware of what's living in your heart anymore. So grade yourself. How you do? One, Lon, I'm so totally accountable, I can't even sneeze without permission. Ten, hey, I'm, I'm, I do whatever I want, whenever I want.
degrade yourself. All right, number two. Here we go. Second way that we know that we've dropped our guard is not only do we become unaccountable, but second of all, we become unteachable. Proverbs 11, verse 14, in a multitude of advisors, the Bible says, there's wisdom. Advice helps prevent Chernobyl. That's what the Bible's telling us. And hey, it wasn't that David didn't have good advice. Didn't he have good advice? Didn't Joab come to him and tell him, David, this is a stupid idea. Are you nuts? Are you crazy? Have you totally lost your mind? What's wrong with you? Didn't Joab do that? Hey, friends, it wasn't that David didn't have some good advice. It's that he ignored it. And this is a sure sign that we have dropped our guard spiritually, that we become unteachable. Nobody can tell us anything. We take very little advice. And frankly, we want less. This is a sure sign. When we get so big for our britches, friends, that we are unable to accept and to value godly advice, we are destined for disaster. I'm going to talk more about that in Frontline tonight. You can get the tape next week. I'm going to really dig into this. But this is a sure indicator. Number three and finally... You want to know whether you've dropped your guard? Grade yourself on number two now, one to ten. Number three and finally, how do we know we've dropped our guard spiritually in a time of ease and success? Number three, we become too casual with God. We become too casual with God. One of the results of dropping our guard spiritually is that we lose our acute awareness of the holiness of God. We become too relaxed too cavalier, too nonchalant in our relationship with Him. We begin to think that we can violate the standards of God and get away with it, or at least almost get away with it, because we're something special. And this is what happened to David. David thought in his mind, well, you know, maybe Joab's right. Well, you know, maybe this will offend God, but hey, I'm the man after God's own heart. You know, the Bible calls me the apple of His eye. Whatever. Well, friends, it wasn't whatever. It was 70,000 whatevers. David should have known better. He was the one who wrote Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear, having a healthy, reverential fear of the holiness of God is where wisdom starts. David wrote that. He said, well, Lon, how could a guy who wrote that in the Bible turn around and violate it like this? Very simple. What did he do? He dropped his guard. He did. He let success go to his head and he began thinking that the rules were for everybody else but him. And as soon as he did that, man, he was vulnerable. So grade yourself. How do you do on this? Your casualness with God. Now, let's total it up, okay? See how you did. Score yourself. Total it up. Now, if you got a 30 on this test, I'm going to be right down here in the front after the service. You need to talk to me. We need to speak if you scored a 30 on this thing. Hey, if you scored in the 20s or the teens on this thing, not good. That's too high. Uh Uh-uh. If you're in the teens or the 20s, you need some course correction in your life. You're in dangerous ground. You've begun dropping your guard. We should be in single digits on this test every time we take it. And let me tell you something wonderful. I have seen in 20 years of pastoral ministry that when people are in single digits when they take this test, when people are living accountable lives, when they're living teachable lives, and when they're living lives that are lived with an acute awareness of the Holy of God every day, it is impossible, listen to me, it is impossible for Lucifer to lure these people into Chernobyl. You cannot do it. It will never happen. I've never seen it happen and it will never happen. But it's when our score starts going up that we start becoming vulnerable. David was running somewhere in the upper 20s on this test 
And that's why Satan was able to lure him into a huge mistake. Friends, I don't know what score you got, but if you need some course corrections in your life, let me challenge you to have the courage to get on your knees and say, God, I see what's happening here. My score is drifting up. This is not good. We need to turn around and take this score down the other way. I need to get my guard back up because remember what Peter said. Be sober. Be vigilant. Watch out. Keep your guard up because the enemy goes around like a roaring lion looking to eat you up. You don't want to be eaten up. Keep your guard up. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for talking to us about everyday, down-to-earth stuff, right where we live. And Lord, you know that in, a, in, in our crowd this morning, there are lots and lots of people here who are successful. Lots of people here that you've granted success to that years ago they could never even have dreamed of. And they're living lives of relative ease, lives of relative affluence, lives of relative comfort. Lord, remind us today that that's the most dangerous time for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because that's the time where we tend to get sloppy. That's the time where we tend to begin believing our own PR. And that's the time we start to drop our guard. So for many of the people who are here today, this is for them. This is for me. Lord, take these three areas. Accountability. Teachability seriousness about God's holiness and help our score be low in these areas because we're living these things out every single day of our lives. For those of us who need course corrections, Lord, give us the courage to get on our knees and with your help to make them. Help us protect ourselves, God. Help us keep our guard up so that Chernobyl doesn't happen to us and so that we can finish like the Apostle Paul who said, I finished the race. I kept the faith. There were no meltdowns in my life. May that be true of us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.